Good morning, Redeemer. All right, I'm going to pray and uh, ask for help. God, help me sort through this and uh, sort through our hearts and serve us. Amen. Isaiah 61, two verses here. Let's see what we can get through. <clears throat> I got a couple headings here. I want to talk about what God does, what it's like, and the effects of that. All right? What does God do? Well, He saves. Right? Look at verse 10b. So by 10b, I mean the second half of verse 10. We're going to come back to the first part of verse 10. But right now, what does God do? He clothes us with garments of salvation. He covers us with the robe of righteousness. See a pattern here? Remember the Hebrew parallelism. We've been seeing this in Isaiah. One sentence, and then the next one expands on it. He clothes us with garments of salvation. He covers us with the robe of righteousness. He makes us righteous. Here's one thing I want us to notice in this, is that God is the subject and you are the object. That's the good news, is that God is going to treat you like an object. Does that sound fun? Don't treat me like an object. Yes, I literally was praying today during worship. Oh, God, objectify me. I need help. See, every other religion, you're the subject. And here's what you do. And I looked it up today. I literally have it on my phone. How are you saved in Hinduism? And it's got a list of things for you to do. You are the subject. How are you saved in Islam? Here are the things you must do. You're the subject. Good news, you're the object. God's the actor. He clothes you. He dresses you. Because we in our sin are naked and weak and frail. And some, we're just, we don't quite see it. We see it a bit. You know, we're talking about that, coming to God and asking for mercy and admitting our weakness. But most of the time, we just don't really see it, which is why we invent all these other religions and ways to save ourselves. How can we be saved? How do we save ourselves? How do we make ourselves holy? How do we make ourselves saints? Listen to this quote by Blaise Pascal. He says this, grace is needed for this. Grace is indeed needed to turn a man into a saint. And he who doubts it does not know what a saint or a man is. Grace is needed. So if the vision is to go from what I am to what I will be, grace is needed. Why? Because I can't do it. And if you doubt that, you don't know what a man is. You don't know yourself. You don't know the extent to which your life and thoughts and flesh are riddled with sin. And you don't know what a saint is if you think you can get there. Right? A saint isn't a man who just doesn't swear. Right? Shows up early for coffee and reads his Bible. That man's a saint. Oh, no. Oh, God, give us a vision for what a saint is. Overflowing with love and purity and power to bless everyone he comes in contact with. Oh, that change would spread from his life and his heart. Oh, a saint, to be like Christ, to walk this earth and that people would be stunned with holiness and beauty and power. That's a saint. It's another creature. Grace is necessary for this. We 
need the subject to act on us, the objects. For him to clothe us. For him to change us. God. To give us these garments, as he says, these garments of salvation. This is the good news. So, real clearly. Jesus came. He took on our garments. That's what he did on the cross. All that mess you see on the cross is your garments. He took them for you. And we come to him and just receive, be his objects, and in him we get clothed in righteousness. That's the robe of righteousness. That in Jesus, because of his work on the cross, it is 100% finished. We are robed in righteousness. That when God looks upon me now, I am a saint. Right? This is the miracle. He has saved me. He has put his spirit within me. He has 100% forgiven me. Now look at this. It isn't just the taking away or the passing over of sin, but it is the giving of something. It's the giving of righteousness. Right? It isn't just that God's going to not punish us. Right? It's like he just sends us a text, hey, I'm not going to punish you. Great. And then we don't even have to respond. We just ghost him. No big deal. But that's not what he says. I'm moving towards you, and I'm going to robe you in a garment. Tell me about this garment, Lord. Tell me about it. What is it like? It is as, so this is the third part of verse 10. He's going to put a garment on us. Oh, describe the garment. Is it just like overalls? Is it just, like literally just a a rag? It's like this, he says. It's as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. Okay? Now, we don't have context for that, right? But back in those days, right, there's the bridegroom. That's the groom that's going to be married. And it's the wedding day. This is a big deal. Right? The occasion and the people involved drive how they dress. This man, this groom, doesn't dress like that every day. It's a special day. I will be one with my bride. And so it requires a special garment. That's what it's like. It's like a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is lavish. This is one of the words that I just keep coming back to this year when we talk about God and what he does in the gospel. It's lavish. It's over the top. He doesn't just cover us so that we're not naked. I mean, that's good, I guess, right? You're not exposed. But it's more than that. It's beyond that. It's lavish. Why? Because something very special is at stake. Who is this involved? It's the bride and the groom. And we know this, right? Depending on who's involved, we may put on more uh, celebration, more decoration. My wife and I recently, we were preparing for a, a big party, and the house was a wreck, right? That's what happens as you're preparing for the party. And I said to her, hey, uh, I think I mentioned to you, someone's coming over today at 2 o'clock to do a podcast, right? Now you're like, now what's her question? Who is it? It was just some dude. She's like, I don't care. 
What if it was, I told her, it was Martha Stewart, actually. I don't know if she would care about that. But if I told her, your mom's coming over. Oh, right, get it together. The point is this. The point is this, that, right, depending on who it is and the occasion, we'll put forth more effort to be in celebratory and lavish. This is about the union of us with God. This is not just about the absence of punishment, the looking, brushing aside of sin, the absence of hell. This is not about the absence of things. This is about the presence of things. This is about the presence of God, the presence of us, his bride, before him. This is a big deal. This is no regular garment. This is a beautiful garment. This is our wedding. Why are weddings lavish? Weddings are lavish, right? Why? It's because what's at stake? Even people who say, you know, I want a simple wedding. No, you don't. You just want your version of lavish. A real simple wedding would be, right, you don't even brush your teeth. You're pumping gas at Casey's. You get married. Nobody really wants that. You actually want a lavish wedding. Why? Because of the occasion. Why? What is the occasion? Here's the occasion. Here's what this is all about. What is this day about? It is about the deepest things and joys of life, love and passion and sex and intimacy and unity and procreation and the two becoming one. What a day. What a day. Dress up. Like a priest, put on the headdress. Like a bride, put on the jewels. This is how God is dressing us. This picture of a wedding, the groom and bride, is one of the metaphors in Scripture about our relationship with God. I think it's the deepest one. I do. He's our father, yes. But a man will leave his father and be joined to his bride. Why? Because that's what you were made for. So God is our Father. He is our shepherd. He is our Lord. He is the lion. He is the door. He is everything from him, through him, and to him are all things. And then there's this. This. This is about the wedding. Remember God saying things to Israel like this. You are at an age for love. Right? Yes, right. But God is going to take you to his holy mountain and make you happy. What's he going to do? He's going to treat you like an object. He's going to consummate the wedding. You should be a little uncomfortable, okay? Now, what am I saying? <laughs> Someone said, what are you preaching about tomorrow? I said, sex with God. They're like, all right. This is why you pay me. <laughs> You're going to push the envelope. It's not. God's consummation with his bride. It's not sex, but it's what sex grows up to be. It's what sex is hoping for. It's all these things that I just named, right? About love and passion and intimacy and unity. Ah, right? This is what we're longing for. Right? This is what it takes for a man to become a saint or a woman, is to mingle with sainthood. That's how it happens. It's not like God gives you 
a list. Here's the traits of a saint. Ready? Imitate it. That's religion. No, no, no. He treats you like an object. He brings his holiness and envelops you in it, and you are one with him. Is this too much? This is the hope. There's nothing more. That's it. God, that we would be subsumed in him. This is what he's doing. Right now, we are engaged. And he is adorning us. He is dressing us. If you think of Ephesians 5, when it talks about Christ's vision for the church, what is he doing? He is washing us with the word. He is preparing us. Why? That he might present us to himself in splendor. Why? So that we can unite. Unity. Reckless abandon. Self-forgetfulness. Freedom. Absence of sin. Joy. Power. Pleasure. To be saints. Oh, God, listen to this. This is C.S. Lewis. This is, he's putting words in God's mouth. I think they're good. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your talents and money and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. Isn't that what you want when you get married? See, this is why the metaphor is helpful, and you've got to talk about it. I want all of you. I want to mingle. And it's a shadow because then we separate. All right, but it's a shadow, and it's there for a reason, and this is God speaking to his church. I want all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. Oh, that's dirty talk, God. You know, tell me more. There's things in you that are in a way, in the way it's a barrier to intimacy, fears and doubts and unbelief and idols, and I come to slaughter them. I came not to frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image, right? Becoming a saint. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you what? Myself. That's what he's going to do on the holy mountain, and it will make you happy. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will my heart shall become your heart. Oh, my God, to have the heart of God. Like, what would that feel like? Do you know? Do you feel small? Do you feel angry? I mean, when Glenn was talking about correcting opponents with patience and gentleness, like, oh, God is so gentle with us. He's so patient with us. Do you know how much... He lets us sin. Do you feel like you have a good week? Or I had a good week or a bad week. You know, I really got frustrated or I looked at that thing I shouldn't have looked at and it was a bad week. This was a good week. You know, you have this list of five things you should be avoiding. And you know what? Probably not good and you should avoid them. But listen, do you know how much sin there is 
Because what is the law? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We never, ever do that. And so we are covered with the grace of God. He is so gracious, moving toward us with mercy. This is the heart of God, right? Grace to endure sin, power to change it, the desire to welcome, the promise to change us, the ability to fulfill the promise. Oh, my gosh. Okay, there's all kinds of stuff in here. Study verse 11 on your own. This verse, I'll just tell you briefly, this bursts forth through all the nations. Why? Because one man is not enough. One nation it is not enough. The glory of God and his pleasure must go throughout the world. Right? He knows how to throw a party. We want more and more and more. It's great to have more people here. It's great to have more people at a show. It's great to have more people at a party. Why? It could be bad, but the root is good because at the root of God is a desire to spread that pleasure to you and beyond, to infinity and beyond, right? It's for the kids. I'm going to keep them listening. Kids don't know what that is. It's for the 40-year-olds. There we go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's verse 11. Verse 10. We just went through all the why. And the result is, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in God. Parallelism. I will greatly. What does that mean? It means at the soul level. I will greatly rejoice. My soul will exalt. What does it mean to exalt? To feel or show triumphant elation or jubilation. Wow. That's where I want to be. It's, it's for us. So I want to exhort us to see that when we ask God to move on us, to reveal his goodness and his power to us, that we would rejoice, that we would exalt at the soul level, right? That our, this is what has to happen. We can come in and sing songs and clap, and that's great. But what happens is when you see what a, what a man is, you see what a saint is, and you see that God is working on you to change that, and that he has worked and he continues to work. And the result is joy. It's fun. Isn't it just fun to exalt? I think I have time for a story. Um, I was on a little family trip to Minneapolis um, with my family a few years ago, and we were uh, driving around. I was navigating because, you know, she drives. And uh, <clears throat> I'm on the GPS, and we're supposed to go back. She wants to find a, a, a Walmart. But so we're in a strange town. We don't know where the Walmart is. So I, I put in the, the address. I'm like, okay, so we're driving down the freeway, and I'm like, okay, you got to take, take this right. She goes, I think we got to take the left. <laughs> Actually, this is a metaphor for our marriage. <laughs> Actually, it's not. All right. Try to keep up. <laughs> so I said, oh, so you can find your way or not. Are you going to do this? She goes, yeah. So we're at a standoff now, right? I'm like, okay. Let's see. So I keep the GPS pulled up to see, but I'm not letting her see, right? It's like, she told me she was going to sense her way to Walmart. <laughs> so we're just going. She passes the exit. She's heading north. And I'm just committed. I don't care. Kids are crying. <laughs> I don't care. I think we went like eight minutes past, and it's getting dark. You know, I'm just like, we'll go to Canada. I don't care. And then she goes, 
this isn't right. And I was like, oh. <laughs> she turns U-turns, right, and goes back south. And I'm watching this thing. Okay, she's going to pass the exit again. She takes the right exit, right, heads west out to the burbs of Minneapolis. And I'm like, there's no way she's just going to pick the right exit, right? And I'm watching, again, this, this exit approach. And, like, last minute, she goes, yeah, I think this is it, and turns off on the right exit. And I'm poker-facing it, like, well, we'll see. Meanwhile, like, Yes, please frustrate her plans. Um, <laughs> some imprecatory psalms on my wife. Like, <laughs> and um, so then, so then she's like, "This seems right." Like, I don't know. And she just heads north on this boulevard or whatever. And Walmart's like three miles. Said, There's no way she's gonna drive three miles. She's gonna give up and turn around, right? And she's just looking, looking, looking. And then literally, like, she's about to give up. She goes, "I don't know. I don't know." And I'm like, yeah, you should probably turn around, right? Like, literally, there's this hedge of bushes here. And as soon as you come around, duh, like Walmart, right? And she's just elated. And the kids are cheering. And like, <laughs> right? She's like, I sensed my way to Walmart. And I didn't even care at that point that I had, that I had lost. I was just like, oh, bravo, you know, just like. And we were just praising her. It was a moment of glory. We were exalting in our souls. What's the point? The point is it's fun. That has, this is loosely tied to the sermon. <laughs> Very loosely, okay? Um, to exalt in something glorious, it was just so fun, right? And it didn't matter at that point. Like, everything just washed away. It was forgotten and the story, and it was just a delight and a pleasure. And to this day, you know, she senses her way places. And there's a whole lot more here. Oh. Gosh. Last thing. We lavish praise on God. Do you think God needs it? You know, like, God doesn't need it. But do you think he doesn't like it? You know, like, if you don't need something, then why would you like it, right? He's not needy, but it's true. Like, when we praise him and his excellence, like, that's true. Do you remember when the disciples worshiped Jesus in the boat, Right? He didn't say, oh, you know, that's not, he just takes it, right? So when we're worshiping, this is literally what we're doing. We're lavishing praise on him. And I want us to have this picture of him liking that, not from a place of need, but because of a place of just it's right. Like when we're, it's truth, right? We say, thou my best thought by day or by night. Like when we are contemplating him and have a true sense of his glory and beauty and power and would tell him, oh, you're great. We love you, Lord. We praise you. You are magnificent. He's literally like, yes, yes, and so are you, right? Look at your beautiful headdress. Look at your jewels. Look at your robe. This is an exchange of affection. This is what we're doing here. We're getting ready for the wedding day. So let's do that. Let me invite the response team up, and uh, yeah, we're going to sing. We're going to, oh, man, let me clear my thoughts here. Um, yes, respond. we are going to sing. I already talked about that. Exchange praises and affection. Um, if you have something that you feel like God has revealed to you, a word of knowledge, wisdom, a prophecy, something full of the church, we ask that you submit that to Glenn here in Cedar Rapids. Uh, to the MC in Cedar Falls, and we'll sort that, seek the Lord with that together. We're also going to take communion, right? 
So communion, we've uh, gone back to kind of the previous method. We've got a couple options here for you, actually. So we will have communion servers up front with the bread and the cup. Uh, for those who like, we also will, uh, on the side over here at the t on the table, and in Cedar Falls here in front of you on the stage, we will have gluten-free option and as well as the uh, old single-serve communion cup if you prefer that, right? So we've got a few options here. So what are we doing? We're remembering. Remember what I described about Jesus taking our garment right on the cross? This is what we're remembering. That's what he did for us. He took our garment so we could have his. So his body was broken. It's the penalty for sin is death. He took that for us. He told the disciples, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, taking the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is by his death and blood, he purchased our headdress, right, and our jewels, right? So we come to him and we remember. Oh, so God, be with us as we celebrate, as we worship that we would see and that we would exalt, that you would give us a sense of what you've done and what you plan to do that you would treat us like objects even now. God, we love you and thank you. Amen.